0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me as always is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Hey. Today we have a special guest with us. He's been here before. You're our first returning, well, other than our pastor, but he's allowed to come back anytime he wants, say anything he wants.
1: So I'll feel privileged then.
0: Yeah. John Botkin is with us again. Uh, last time you came and you discussed, well, we were online because we were still in the midst of a global pandemic. That's right. So uh, you talked about Gospel Threads with us right before Christmas. So yep. I heard from several people that they were encouraged by that podcast. Yep. So praise the Lord. Hopefully this episode will be encouraging as well. Amen. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about yourself? I mean, I could say a few things, but...
1: Uh, I have four kids, one wife, a pastor right now at uh, Providence Bible Fellowship in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, Specifically, I oversee our children's evangelism and missions ministries in addition to all the normal pastoral care and teaching leadership responsibilities, and uh, happy to be back. Good to have
0: you. Let's get down the business. We're here to talk about the SBC uh, meeting uh, as of the recording, it was last week, but it'll be two weeks when you're listening to this. <laughs> A lot of controversy about it. Uh, but first, um, that just to let people know, that may not be Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention is an association of churches who co- voluntarily cooperate together. Um, in order to advance evangelism missions and education. And there's some other things that the SBC does, but these are the main things. Um, We unify around the confessional statement called the Baptist faith and message. That's our doctrine. Now there's disagreement whether that should be uh, prescriptive or descriptive of what Baptist believes. Mm. Uh, But we are unified uh, around that document. That document defines where we're at theologically. It's a fairly conservative, theologically uh, document, and I, I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, it's with all confessions, they're man-made and imperfect, but uh, it's it's good and has helped us cooperate together for a long time. So um, the, the SBC also has, uh, we have uh, local associations where we meet together, mm-hmm. our, in fact, our associational uh, missionary met with us not long ago and talked about associations, uh, but we also have statewide conventions as well. And all of these are voluntary. We work together uh, for the purpose of the Great Commission. Yep. And that's why some have adopted the name of Great Commission uh, Baptist. Yeah. Just to get us started, um, why don't you tell us what the Southern Baptist Convention is? Why, what is this meeting? Because it looked like you guys just went and took pictures of yourselves and (laughs) went out to eat all week and said you were doing something That's right,
1: that's right. Um, Yeah, actually, it used to be three days, and for um, really uh, economical reasons, they've cut it down to two days. So there used to be even more time for uh, eating and pictures, but uh, there's less now. Uh, Essentially, the Southern Baptist Convention only exists for two days every year when we are in session in our annual meeting. And this is uh, more or less a business meeting where we hear reports on uh, those entities that you mentioned, uh, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, our six seminaries, um, those uh, groups of people that uh, manage all of those things Um when we're not in session for those two days throughout the year, but you're hearing reports on them and you're uh, voting on business related to those things. So you are um, also able to answer or ask questions and have them answered by those entity heads, uh, which is pretty uh, amazing to be honest. I mean, you've got um, this past uh, convention. We had uh, in recent times a record number of uh, over 15 and a half thousand messengers that showed up and every one of them was able to go to a microphone and ask a question of one of our seminary presidents or of uh, any of our uh, entities. So that's an amazing privilege that you don't see in many other, if not any other denomination. Uh, so it's a great time both to uh, have the, the voices of the churches heard, because we are a uh, bottom-up denomination, not a top-down um, and that was evident in a couple of things that our executive committee, which is the group that operates throughout the year when we're not in session, uh, they had a couple of recommendations, and those were voted down by the Southern Baptist Messengers. Um, and I think uh, on the ones that were voted down that there were good reasons to do that, So uh, and overwhelmingly so. And they were making a statement about uh, several things, which we'll probably get into later. But uh, So it's actually a, a, a pretty amazing time. I saw people that I've not seen in years, not seen since seminary, and uh, so it's always a good time to catch up, and usually that happens either in the hallways or uh, or at meals.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Facebook. My Facebook was flooded with people from here in Dayton that I know, and yeah. and other people around the <laughs> around the country that I've met, like college and and things like that, meeting in Nashville. So, yeah. um, did they? I know somebody made a motion to permanently have. Uh, the SBC in Nashville. Was there any
1: consideration uh, yeah, so, given to that? Yeah, so that so several depending on <laughs> we're kind of getting into the um, into the weeds or um, you know insider baseball here, but depending on what kind of motion it is, it's outs. It, sometimes it falls outside the purview of direct vote by the messenger. Right, so, so that okay. would have been referred to a committee that organizes our time, place, location. Okay. And so they're going to look at I'm sure all kinds of factors to determine whether or not that's viable.
0: I'm sure Nashville will love that, but uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, you have an influx of over fifteen thousand people looking for hotels, wanting to eat. The, I'm sure there was a massive boost to the local economy. <laughs> that, <laughs> not to mention the Johnny Cash Museum that got uh, you know sixty of our bucks to, to go <laughs> in and look around. So, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a good place for Southern Baptists to meet. I'm sure.
1: Well, we actually have offices there, so that's yeah. that's part of the reason that, that that's that that's the case. But um, yeah, the city actually handled us really well, so kudos cool. to them.
0: Cool. Um, I guess the only other thing before we talk about anything controversial is uh, is what were the highlights in your mind?
1: Uh, some of the highlights uh, we had the night before the convention started. I think it was sixty-four international missionaries that were commissioned and sent out um, with, uh, representatives of their local churches there. Uh, that, that was a, a huge highlight. Um, I think the, um, the general positivity th- uh, of that meeting, there were controversial issues. There were, um, uh, impassioned emotions and discussion that was made, but, um, uh, people that would have disagreed on a, on a vote were then in the hallway eating hot dogs together or, you know, the, um, you know, walking burritos or whatever, you know, whatever the the convention hall had. And there was just a, a general atmosphere of, um, um, all of our churches are going to look different. They're going to do things differently. But to your point, we are all are, uh, centered around and unified, uh, around this, this common statement, which has at its heart a concern that uh, the name of Jesus Christ is made known both to our neighbors and among the nations. And so, um, you very much feel like you are at a big family reunion at at these meetings and, th- and that was especially true here at Nashville.
0: That that's really what it looks like when when I see the pictures and yep. things online cuz I've never been to the SBC meeting. Um for many years I wasn't a Southern Baptist so <laughs> <laughs> now even as a Southern Baptist usually it's too far away and sure uh, getting off work is difficult.
1: So yep. Yep.
0: The privileges of being a pastor you get to go.
1: Yeah, and, you know, uh, we should say that, um, you know, to that end, and this is not to be a negative statement on you, but to, to, to highlight other people, the vast majority of the people that go are are not pastors. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a lot of lay people that go that use their vacation time, and they'll add on those extra days in Nashville or wherever they're at. Um, and um, so we're very thankful for them as well, that uh, that they go and that they make the, the, you know, that they take the time to um, use their vacation and other things to... Um, show up to those annual meetings and make their voices heard along with uh the many pastors and others that are there
0: so as far as i understand uh, these are like the top three things that i've heard concerns about and i have concerns myself sure um the of course critical race theory is something that has been argued about basically since last convention with the resolution uh, nine. Mm-hmm. So uh, CRT was a bit big hot button issue, both in the presidential, uh, not campaign, but choice of the president. Um, that was a huge issue. Um, and then... And
1: you mean president of the convention? The pre- yes, president yes. of
0: the convention. Yes. Um, the other thing is the I guess this isn't really three issues, but the sexual abuse in the churches and the way that the uh, EC, the Executive Committee, handled or uh, probably better mishandled uh, these issues. And it, it seems like right before, right before the convention, news came about um, several members of the uh, Executive Committee one of whom was running to be the president of the SBC um, who seemed to block and hinder mm-hmm. uh, these investigations so these issues were all talked about at the convention um, crt there was a there was actually a um a resolution mm-hmm. it didn't mention crt but it was clear it was aimed at those beliefs. What yeah. What are your what are your thoughts overall on on that whole issue? I mean, yeah. We could spend all day on this. So if you can (laughs) keep it like five minutes and if Matthew has any comments, we can
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so I I do think it's important for context and we talked a little bit about this or you know earlier off uh off off uh we're not really on air but uh off recording I guess we'll say um And that goes back to Resolution 9, which was passed in 2019. We did not meet in 2020 because of COVID. And so uh, when we say the last convention, we mean back in 2019. And in that resolution, um, it was not. So we have something, again, more context here. We have something called the Resolutions Committee. So resolutions are non-binding affirmations that the convention makes from year to year. And some of those are good. Some of those are not good. You can go look back in our history and see several resolutions that we would nobody in the convention would affirm today. Um, so that's part of the um difficulty with these things is uh who is in the room voting? Uh do they understand what they're actually voting on? Uh there was another issue that came, another resolution that was very spirited in debate, in large part because people had not read the entirety of the motion and didn't understand it. And once that happened, it was um, language was changed. Uh, that was the one on abortion. Not sure. I don't know if you if you saw it or not. But specifically, Revolu- uh, resolution nine from 2019 dealt with critical race theory. And essentially, that resolution said uh, the Bible always trumps everything, but there could be helpful parts of this resolution uh, to help us understand structural racism. Uh, I-, I firmly believe that most of the people in the room had no idea what CRT was, but they were they were against racism. So this seemed like, oh, here is a helpful tool to help us better understand and, and put to death racism in our convention and in our country, and so it was approved. The problem, and was, they wanted to go to lunch. I mean, <laughs> possibly, they yes. were voting right yes. before
0: lunch, and it was really the debate was really getting long. So. Yes,
1: yes, um, that that's certainly part of it as well. <laughs> um, and some people like to pontificate at, at the microphones, you know, whether we need to or not. But um, so so that that was passed, and that. That created a lot of controversy in its wake, uh, as, as you well know, and, um, and many of the listeners may know as well. Um, it was clear this year that people had gone home, they'd done homework, they had talked to their pastors, pastors had done research, reading, um, and nobody was in favor of CRT. Um, the uh, Council of Presidents, which meets annually, issued a statement last November saying... Um, CRT just does not cohere with the biblical worldview, does not cohere with our uh, statement of faith, the baptism faith, the message, and it's actually not helpful uh, for understanding society and and structures from a biblical perspective. So um, the actual resolution did not name critical race theory, but was meant to be broader than just critical race theory. So the language is that any theory— uh, that uh, subverts biblical teaching that that we, w- we would condemn. Now, some people quibbled with that. They argued with that. They said that was a political move not to mention CRT. I, it could have been. I don't know. I didn't take it that way. It seemed to me that they were trying brought, trying to broaden the net to say, if anything else comes up, uh, whether that's intersectionality or whatever else, that that we're just going to say, no, If we're not going to endorse this. We're not going to utilize that. Um, if it does not cohere with a biblical worldview,
0: and I, I think uh, the problem with naming it is there isn't one critical race theory. There are many critical race theories, and yeah. it, people can get you. You can get around it if you just name it. Right, right. But the way you deal with it is to state what they believe and yeah. say this is what I oppose. Right, and while I think the I think the resolution could have been stronger. As it is, it's, it's a fairly good document. Yeah, I, th- th- I think so. It, so. And
1: I think that, that the main point uh, that was trying to be made with Resolution 9 was also made with this other resolution that was just passed. And forgive me, I don't know the number, but that was we don't like racism. Right, that, that, that was the whole reason why right. the CRT, I think, the CRT thing was put forward. I'm, I'm not sure there was a nefarious conspiracy. I think it was, hey, here's, a, here's a, uh, a bullet in our chamber that will help us put to death racism. That's just a bad bullet. So we're going to reject that bullet. But at the same time, we're affirming as Southern Baptists, especially Southern Baptists, given our history, we, we are not racist. We don't affirm racism. We don't promote racism. And we are um, hardcore about rooting it out. Wherever we find it,
0: right, right. You got any thoughts about that, Matthew?
2: I would say that the fundamental issue with Resolution Nine and then Resolution Two is, and having COT involved is what you guys were already talking about. It's just the simple fact that it becomes this boogeyman. That we're, if we kill the boogeyman, then we're good, mm-hmm. and it goes back to something you, Jeremy, you and I have talked about really for a, while, a long time, is that people are trying, seeking to argue about two different things using the same words. Mm. And so I think that's one of the things we have to understand. And then so like one of the challenges from the floor was there was this document that didn't get brought up that supposedly 1,300 Southern Baptists had signed. Well, 60, what is it? I think 75% of the 1,300 signatures came from five churches. Mm. So... If you If we make it this concept a big deal and then then we can fight and talk about how it's bad, but when we do that, we completely miss the opportunity to have the conversation that another conversation that needs to be had, which is it's not enough to simply say because the southern because we passed a resolution in 1995 that said racism was bad, that means it's no, no longer exists and it's gone, and we don't have to talk about it anymore
0: yeah. And, and so, unfortunately, I think some of the internet trolls and the discernment bloggers, which is an ironic statement because they have
1: <laughs> they
0: have no discernment. But yes. what happens in in my view is there are people who um, really speak a lot about racial issues, and just the v- by virtue of speaking about racial issues they end up being proponents of CRT. Mm. And I, that's obviously not helpful. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and and I see, and I, I think this is important because what I'm seeing and hearing is that there's a lot of tension between African-American congregations and Predominantly white congregations. There's increasing distrust on both sides, and that and that's not healthy. We have I, there have been several prominent African American pastors leave the SBC um, for these reasons, um, and it it's it's concerning because we we have to work. To earn that trust, I mean, yes, we've done things like the resolution in 1995, mm-hmm. um, and we continue to make great resolutions dealing with race, and and they're good, and we ought to do those things. Uh, but I think I think it comes from a misunderstanding of of different cultures and um, not listening to African Americans and understanding their suffering. And then, of course, political issues get thrown into that, right. and and like I said, it's misunderstanding on both sides. Yeah. I I don't I think our African American brothers, uh, especially when they find out that many Southern Baptists voted for Donald Trump, and they think that's the worst thing ever, and then white evangelicals, white Southern Baptists voted by and large for Trump, and can't understand why anyone vote for Biden, right. and. Instead of talking with each other, we're just blasting each other with labels, and and that's not good.
1: Yeah, and, and so I think to both your points, we have to continually speak to the issues that are happening, and we need. And in this issue of racial reconciliation, I do think that it's um, at least for the foreseeable future. As someone who thought in high school. As a culture, we were really past this, <laughs> uh, and had high hopes for my kids. And now it's worse than I've ever seen it. As a forty-four year old man, yeah, uh, we we have to keep speaking about this, and we and to you know to your I think really wise point, we have to be willing to listen. Um, I don't know if you've uh, read uh, Shylin's new book about this, but you know he talks about um, being in a predominantly white church, and um, e- even if. Uh, we would say, and I, I think we, meaning not just white, but even um, some black conservatives, um, the minute a, a black person is killed at the hands of police, that we immediately we should not immediately assume racism. Um, I think I don't want to speak for him, but I, th- I think he would probably say that too. But the problem is, it's not just that one person. We we're looking at these things as an isolated issue, um, and and oftentimes. The black community is not looking at it as as an isolated issue. It's looking at the exactly. next the next link in a very long chain. So that may that individual killing may not have been racially motivated, but it feels differently to them. Right. So to your point of understanding, listening, um, yeah, I think we have a long way to go in that. Um, yeah. And so having these new affirmations um, that we are working for this, I think, is helpful to our to our denomination.
0: And I, I'm. I'm not convinced that the reason there's not much listening going on is because of r- what Robin D'Angelo calls white guilt. <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> there may be right. some of that, but I—that
0: right. book yeah. is uh, nutty. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, there there are issues in talking. Yeah, I, I mean, just this is not something that I want to delve too deeply in. But just think about the whole kneeling for the. Uh, national anthem that happened. Mm -hmm. I can look at this and understand from both sides why it's so... why there's no discussion. Yeah. Because people who love America, whose family have died defending that flag, really get uh, upset Mm -hmm. when someone disrespects the flag and all their guards are going to go up. They're not going to listen to anything that you have to say. Right. But then... On the other hand, you have people who see that flag as uh, oppressing them for hundreds of years. Right. And this is just yet another form of oppression and don't have the same feeling about it. But you, you've you got to get past your initial offense, hmm. which may be – I'm not choosing sides here. Sure. But you have to be able to get back past your initial offense to at least talk and listen to where other people are coming from.
1: Yeah. And I think that is most helpfully done one-on-one. So rather than getting on social media, rather than getting on Twitter and um, find your neighbor down the road who's going to have a different opinion, and talk to them. Help me understand why you think differently about this. Um, I think you make more progress and be more willing to listen that way on uh, on both sides.
0: I'm the only white guy that works in my department at work Mm. Uh, everybody uh, around me is either an immigrant or an african-american and i've talked to them about these kind of things and none of them none none of these guys that work at a factory or believe in crt or really have any clue what it is Mm. they so i don't have to argue with them about that stuff yeah Yeah. um because they don't either don't care or don't know what it is. Um, but they do have concerns about racial racial issues and yeah. they're they're always willing to yeah. willing to talk to me about it. So it's been very instructive. That's good. To see from their vantage point what's happening. Um and you have to have ears to hear.
1: Yeah. I, I think one positive thing, um, there's a, a blog site called SBC Voices, um, <laughs> that that's pretty helpful. Uh, I think in, in general, uh, there was a good guest post by a guy named Eric Vance, who's not a Southern Baptist. He was a guest of the convention and he talked about, um, really how, how much he was welcomed and how genuine that, that welcoming felt. And I think that, um, that would be a good article for people to read if they're, if they, if they are thinking more negative thoughts about the willingness of southern baptists to be diverse uh and, and embrace people that are not uh white
2: i think the challenge for us is we have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time mm-hmm. Those there's, there's a validity to fighting things that would go against the baptist faith and message that go against scripture fighting liberalism is a good thing but you can't not deal with things that come up because you're too busy fighting liberalism. <laughs> mm. And so we have to we have to strive to be conservatively, theologically accurate, and at the same time interact with people in a way that we can sh- demonstrate to them what Southern Baptists look like, what we mean. Or to say in another way, we need to learn how to love God and love our neighbor at the same time. We can't pick one to the exclusion of the other. I think. Mean, I think that's sad. I think that's what happens sometimes. We either at least it gets characterized that way. Either you love God or you love your neighbor, but you can't love both. Mm. But the command is love God and love your neighbor.
0: Well, and I think the other thing that would help is to turn off the discernment loggers and stay off of Twitter.
2: This is true. <laughs> we could we could have we could have a talk about a thing that just came out on Twitter that, Let's base, not. that basic basically put it <laughs> like this: Twitter is incredibly liberal. To, to be blunt about it, there's a poll – you came out with a poll. The average Twitter user would be Democrat plus 15 if you get into politics or think it like this. Twitter is as liberal as Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, – the majority of tweets put out by Twitter, it would be the second most liberal congressional district in the United States is Twitter. Yeah. And 3% of Twitter users publish 92% of the tweets. So hold on, say that again. Three percent of the people on, on Twitter, Twitter published ninety-two percent of the wow. tweets. So if we're using Twitter as a barometer to what's going on in the world, instead of like John said, talking to our neighbor, we're gonna have a completely different outlook of what actually is happening in the world. Yeah. Wow. and that's part of I think that's part of our problem. We think Twitter is real life, and it's far from actual life.
0: Yeah, the w- I don't want to get too far off on this, but the wars that are going on t- Twitter don't reflect what's happening in the SBC doesn't reflect what's happening in your uh, local church predominantly most people in the pews don't even know what's going on on Twitter right Right. so that and that's a good thing yes so let's let's talk now a little bit about the um, sexual abuse Mm -hmm. Um, it was obviously mishandled by uh, the executive committee um, and one of my concerns with some of the possible presidential candidates for the SBC is is that some of them were involved in uh, the mishandling of the sexual abuse. Um, I, I don't know what the motivations are. Um, it sounds like money and trying to protect the institution, which is typically what happens. Um, anyway... My concern was that we one of the concerns I had was that we would elect someone who isn't concerned at all about dealing with this issue yeah. honestly and with integrity yeah. um so i don't i don't know what your thoughts are as far as that what yeah. what you what happened at the convention in that regard
1: yeah i i think um you know the President that we uh, that we elect of the convention typically a pastor not always though um, doesn't doesn't wield an incredible amount of authority on on some of those things but I think optically um, can make a big difference so if you have someone who is associated with at best obfuscation of an investigation versus someone who is um, very willing and oh and says hey, if we're going to take a black eye on this so we can do better, let's do that. Um, I I want to go with that guy, right? Um, So one of the things that was really positive from the convention itself was a motion that was made for an independent third-party investigation, um, not just to the EC, but um, any willing church uh, as well. So it would help us to see not just in these isolated areas where we've bungled it, but as a convention, are we, how, I guess, safe are our churches and how well are we doing with preventing and reporting across the board? And so um, that was, that motion uh, went through uh, overwhelmingly. Well, it wasn't even close um, on that vote. I mean, well into the 90%. And so I think that that says that our convention, particularly, again, that doesn't mean some leadership somewhere in the ether, but our churches um, are concerned for this issue and they want to take it seriously and they want to make sure that we do well in this area. So that was that was all very encouraging to me as a Southern Baptist. And
0: I'm thankful that it's being uh, pushed as well because I think there's a lot of naivety in churches about this issue. Because I read one thing, I read somewhere that uh, you know these Sunday school. Te- Classes are taught by grandmothers and mothers, um, and fathers in the church. So it's the safest place in the world to be. Unfortunately, we know for a fact that not all the churches are a safe place.
1: Right. Yeah, and I and I to your point, I think that we just historically have not thought well about this. And um, uh, a, a great book that has come out in the last ten years is um, called On Guard. And it goes through not just the shameful statistics, not amongst other Baptists, but just in general and in churches uh, about uh, abuse, uh, but also gives a lot of very practical uh, steps that can be taken. The other part of those practical steps is that it, it means increased volunteers and increased money. And that's another area where um, churches often struggle. Um, children's ministry is often seen as a lesser ministry. And, um, you know, as far as this podcast would go, I would just say, uh, our kids are worth it, right? Uh, right. It, it, it's worth you missing church once a month or whatever it is, uh, in order to make sure there's three people and not just, uh, a husband and a wife where one's going to cover for the other if abuse takes place. Um, it's, it, it's worth it. And, and it's, uh, it's, a, not just an attitude of protection, but service to those parents. And to our Lord who said, "Let the children come to me, right? So right. if Jesus values children, who are we not to value children, and not just their their faith and their theological education but their safety as well
0: and I know from personal experience that some of those mothers are involved with husbands who abuse girls and or or boys, and the wife covers it up, the wife enables it yeah um i know I know someone uh who raped repeatedly his own daughter mm. um, was an elder um, in the church, Sunday school teacher. It and they're not; they weren't part of mega churches where yeah. supposedly there's anonymity. Mm. They were part of small local churches. Terrible. And I'm not saying that this happens everywhere. And probably in general, the person who said that it's this, one of the safest places to be it, is probably right. Yeah. Um, But you would be amazed if you went on a sexual registry, even in a small town. When when I lived in Michigan, you know the small town I lived in, yeah, yeah. there were people everywhere. Oh yeah, on the uh, sexual predator registry. So uh, even in small towns, even in rural areas, there yeah. are, there are people that you need to be aware of.
1: And, and churches are, you know, to our credit, loving, kind, accepting uh, of all kinds of people. And if we're not asking the hard questions, if we're not running background checks, then that, that can bite us in the butt, so to speak. Um, you know, our, our willingness to love people can, uh, can come back in, in difficult ways as is the, the instance of this, uh, situation that you're referring to here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Another. Th- so, um, with the presidential, um, election the choice of president of the sbc i'm pretty unfamiliar with ed litton uh i looked up some things about him and have heard things from other people mm-hmm. um, probably one of my chief concerns with him is there are videos of him online uh i don't even want to call it preaching
1: <laughs> <laughs> co-teaching, with his, co-teaching
0: with his wife yeah yep um we Obviously, uh, there has been a push from people like Beth Moore. Um, they're pushing the envelope, at least, when it comes to the position of the Baptist faith and message on uh, female preachers, female pastors. Um, and so probably the biggest concern I have with uh, Mr. Litton or Pastor Litton um, is is that he's co-teaching with his wife, at least on occasion. That seems to me to open the door wider. He's also been very supportive of Beth Moore, which I'm not saying that you need to sure. belittle her and do some of the things that some people right, have done right. to her. Um, we, you can disagree with her position without being a horrible human being. But I am quite concerned that this is yet another Opening of the door and the camel's nose is starting to get in. Sure, and I, I've told some of my friends that I don't believe that Mister Litton is liberal. Um, I think he's a pragmatist, and I, I and there's a lot of pragmatism in the SBC, and it's a, it's a huge problem. Um, but we can't <laughs> we never deal with it for a variety of reasons. So. What are your thoughts on yep. that score?
1: Yeah, so I, I was completely unfamiliar with Ed before I uh, before I went down there. Normally, I would have done a little more research, but uh, I had just come back from a week of teaching in Brazil, and so that occupied a lot of my time before I had uh, four days to turn around and, and head out. Um, so, I, so I'm not that familiar with him. But I, what I am familiar with, obviously, is what I've seen um, since he's been elected. So one of the things I will say straight out of the gate is that um, a lot of the like New York Times type people um, celebrated him as a moderate, as if somehow he was going to save our convention.
0: Which he denies. Uh,
1: he, he, he denies, and from people that know him well, um, they would say, yeah, he's not at all moderate, definitely not liberal. And he moder-
0: actually said on CNN that there is no moderate wing of the SBC.
1: Yeah, and and what by what that means is again for historical context, um, moderates were those uh, that would affirm a lot of the same things we would, but would like deny inerrancy. Okay, so um, we might call that classically liberal, (laughs) but within Southern Baptist life, uh, they would have self-identified as moderates. Uh, they would have still believed in the resurrection of Christ. Classic liberals don't. And we had a few of those teaching at some seminaries back in the 80s. Um, so in that sense, um, yeah, Ed is not, from anything I can see, a liberal or even a moderate, uh, but a conservative. He holds to inerrancy and, and, and all of the, the core tenets of, of the Christian life. Uh, it seems to me that the only time that him and his wife were together was in this series on Song of Solomon that he preached through. Uh, I don't know his motives, but if I were to guess, um, he wanted her involved, uh, to present something of a, of a more quote unquote balanced view of the, the song, particularly if he's teaching on complementarianism through that. You know, one of the big criticisms we've heard, even through Beth Moore's, um, um, exiting of the SBC was that, uh, complementarianism is bad because it produces bad fruit. um, I think that that's a bad argument <laughs> right. because there's lots of things um, that, have a, that have bad fruit associated with good things. And you cannot, you cannot draw a causal line, even right. if there's correlation. My guess is he wanted to mitigate against that. So if I was going to teach complementarianism, yes, I would want to quote from women, my wife, whatever, that would say, hey, guess what? This is biblical and it works amazingly. I'm happy, you know, uh, not that I'm, I'm oppressed. Um, that, so, so that's my quick hot take on the, the little bit that I've seen on that. Uh, I could be completely wrong on that. Um, I don't think, though, that with the idea of women preachers or women pastors is going to explode in part because of a quote by Ed Litton saying women pastors and preachers don't, ad- don't cohere with what we see in the Bible. Now, how old is that? Is that his current? I I I don't know, but I don't think we're going to see him pushing for that anytime soon,
0: right? And that that that's not necessarily what I was saying. I just sure sure. I just the optics of it make it seem like this is acceptable for this this to happen. Yeah, and e- even I agree that you need to make sure that you're listening to women's voices, but the 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 duty of preaching right. is for a pastor or an elder, yep. and the Bible requires that they be men, Right, I and, agree with that. Yep. And to me, it looked like a fireside chat when they were sitting up there, and right. that bothers me as well. But. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, right and and yeah I, I mean I agree wholeheartedly I I would not um first of all my wife would never get on the platform with me because she would like no way um yeah I I, I have a, a view of preaching that says I am there to herald truth I'm not there to engage in a dialogue and a conversation I, I think you would uh, amen uh, all of us <laughs> would, would agree with that so um so so I'm not I'm not saying that that I necessarily agree or endorse what ed did I'm what I'm saying right. is I'm not sure all of the heat that he's taking for that is necessarily deserved because it may not mean what they think it means.
2: I think part of it is – back to the conversation, the episode we had with Beth Moore we kind of talked about it a little bit. It goes back to how you interpret complementarianism, broad versus narrow, and I think that's part of the challenge. And I think just listening to the, his press conference after he got elected, I think – you could reasonably make the argument that he would have a broader definition of complementarian than Jeremy and I would probably have, a, probably John too. So, But that doesn't change the fact he's still a complementarian. It's not like he's jumping into the egalitarian box. And so it goes back to degrees, and f- frankly, we've lost the ability to understand nuance.
0: <laughs> right, because most of our conversation is on Twitter or right. discernment bloggers. Right,
2: which... Yeah, you can't I mean, do nuance on Twitter.
0: Just just to give you an example, when I looked up Ed Litton, one of the things that came, and Matthew brought this up, one of the things that came up is the church's uh, doctrinal statement about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I looked at this discernment blogger to, not because I really cared about their opinion, but because right. I knew they would have a picture of the old statement. Sure, sure. So what happened is that the statement was pointed out as heretical. It really was. It was bad.
1: The, the last sentence of the statement. Yes. Yeah. The
0: last sentence of the statement was really bad.
1: Yeah.
0: The church changed it in response to that. So now it's the discernment blogger didn't change his mind about Ed Litton. He's he's still a heretic. He's just a deceptive heretic now. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and you, you, the thing is, I, I agree that that final sentence was horrendous, but. I could also see where they were trying to say something true and they just weren't using accurate historic language. It was a, it was a sloppy statement rather than an intentionally heretical statement.
0: Right. And in order for it to actually count as heresy, it has to be intentional. (laughs) It can't just be accidentally saying something.
1: And, And you know, to their credit, you're exactly right. That it was pointed out, Hey, this is not clear language. And they said, Oh, we made a mistake. Let's right. lean into that first part, which was clearly orthodox, and they just took out that that last right. statement. You know, so and uh, and, and
0: that's yeah. that's the way discernment bloggers are. That yeah. if if you if you do something wrong and then change it, well, you scrubbed your site, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Not well. They saw the error of their ways and they yes. decided to change it. That yeah. no, they're just deceptive heretics now. Yeah. So this that's why I. These guys, I just avoid them because they're not helpful at all. There may be, they may occasionally stumble onto some truth, but it's not worth wading through all the garbage, the right. slander that goes on constantly on these sites.
1: Well, and, and even sometimes good people, I mean, this goes back to, you know, to what you said, brother, uh, about, you know, chewing gum and walking at the same time. Um, even guys that I would admire and I would, um, you know, join arms with and be thankful for. Sometimes miss the mark because they're aiming at the wrong thing. You know, um, and so um, you know, um, a, a really bad review of uh, Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, that totally missed the point. Right? I, I'm not going to condemn that whole ministry for that, but there, but there is a uh, in my mind anyway. I don't know how you feel about that, but an example of. <laughs> You kind of missed the point. We're in agreement. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, you, know agreement. You, you know, this this book is not saying what you think it says or want it to say, and you're so used to defending the truth, I think, you, you missed the nuance of what this book was trying to say, which I hope you would agree with, you know.
0: Okay. Yeah, well that ministry handed that book out at one of their <laughs> conferences so. <laughs> they did do that i think i think and then said oops <laughs> i think
2: one of the th- ways for us to understand what this this part of the conversation is it goes back to what we were talking about before a sloppy statement comes i think it came as a result of pragmatism not as a result of heresy mm. i think they were seeking to communicate truth in a way that people understand
0: a very difficult
2: right <laughs> and, let, and let's be honest you and i you and i were talking about this sunday Lots of people get lots of stuff about the Trinity wrong <laughs> because it's difficult and it's hard. And and so it becomes a pragmatic problem, not a heretical problem. But this leads to the last thing for us to talk about. So I read a, another review from the, the president of the Oklahoma Baptist. And he, his basic argument is, is this a little bit inside baseball? But he said there is a drift inside the SBC. But it's not a drift toward liberalism, which was the charge before the convention started. It's a drift toward fundamentalism, Mm. which is something Jamie and I know plenty about. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things, that's another thing we have to be aware of, is that the natural tendency is for us to run towards either liberalism or fundamentalism. So fundamentalism being the idea of, I'm going to set the rules. Here are the rules. Hold to these rules or else I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And no ability to have differing opinions. Now, bluntly, it's a whole lot easier to be fundamentalist than it is to let differing opinions get involved. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. Right. And I think that's the challenge. But my last thing is bluntly. I don't think it does us well to spend all of our time looking at all the horrible, terrible stuff because what ends up happening is all the blogs and all the discernment and all this stuff, we spend all of our time talking about the business meeting on Tuesday when the most important thing that happens, what John already mentioned, the most important thing that happened at the SBC was Monday night. That was the most important thing. There's this picture, if you go online and see to find it, there's this picture of this mom standing in the back with her kids on the platform behind a screen. Because her kids, her daughter and her son-in-law, are going to a restricted access country. And she's standing there crying as they're being commissioned to go off and preach the gospel in a place that if anybody finds out that they're going coming to preach the gospel, they're going to be in prison and possibly killed. They believe in the Great Commission enough that they're willing to give their lives because Jesus matters. And I think that's what we need to focus on, not on whether or not we're down to the nth degree technically, theologically right. To the point that, well, we didn't put three letters in a resolution, so therefore we're just, you know, completely liberals and we might as well just all quit and go start our own bo- go get on our boat and go start a new thing. I think that's one of the things, the challenge, that's for me was the takeaway was Monday night. And to focus on Monday night and to focus on the importance of the Great Commission and focus on the task in hand because I think if we're honest, we're getting lulled to sleep. And we're focusing on stuff and people are dying and the walls falling apart and we're too busy trying to make sure everything looks pretty when the foundation is crumbling.
0: And i I, I know you don't agree disagree with this, but we we can do both. Yes. We can have these conversations and focus right. on doctrinal stuff, but we also have to focus on the mission. Right. The message is important, but so is the mission. And we've got to do we've got to do well at both. Correct. And mm-hmm. fundamentalists tend to get off track and on the message like perfecting it absolutely where there's no mistakes or errors whatsoever. And the good news is God uses people that are messed up, and even if you don't get the message precisely right, though we should strive to, God still uses that message to break through the hearts of sinners. Thankfully, he doesn't require that every I is crossed, or every I is dotted and T is crossed before he works to save. That doesn't I'm not encouraging sloppiness. You'll never hear me. No, 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 no.
2: no, There's no. (laughs) I'm a precisionist. (laughs) There's no, there's no idea that we need, that we should be sloppy, but there's a difference in being precise and being overly critical in our precision. Right. So, John, any other thoughts that you want to share with us from being at the convention?
1: Um, I, I think we had a pretty wide-ranging conversation already, uh, and, I, and I like how you ended it, um, or your, your final comment there about, uh, about, about missions, and that is fundamentally that's what our convention is about. That's why we were started uh, as a mission-sending sending, uh, group um, with the acknowledgement that we can do more together than we can apart. We have a great um, theological education uh, in seminaries, world-class uh, theological education. And all of that is in service to the church and in the world. And I would say that, um, remembering that as our focus, uh, that we have marching orders from King Jesus to make disciples of all nations, um, that we have got to always as a convention and as the individual churches that make up that convention constantly be reminding ourselves that so that all of that robust, deep theological thinking goes into, uh, hearts that are aflame with love for God and His glory and that push us out into the world to to share that with people that are, are going to hell apart from faith in Christ.
2: That's good. That's a good place for us to end. So we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at OrdinaryFellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.